Hey, good evening, everyone. It is so good for me to uh, be able to come and join uh, for your church weekend. I'm a little disappointed it's not at Sizewell. You know, you've invited me to the home one, but, but anyway, it's, no, I'm, I'm really, really glad. Uh, there are a few of you that um, uh, I would recognize. And so uh, when I was um, uh, a teenager, I joined a team called the Salt Mine Trust. You'll hear a little bit more about that. And so uh, Peter and Wendy um, uh, are just down here. It's lovely to see you uh, both again. It's ages uh, since we last have. So uh, it would be really nice for me to be able to catch up with people, but also um, to get to know you uh, too. Now, I hope this doesn't spoil uh, the quiz coming up. Um, uh, tomorrow night. But I learned a fact the other week that's not going to transform any of our lives, but I did find interesting. That did you know that the most popular name for the pub, for a pub in the UK, is the King's Head, the Queen's Head. It is, in fact, the Red Line. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry that that is true. The Red Line. Do you know what? There are 600 and 32 of them dotted around the country, okay, and uh, in various towns and villages. And, and there was a couple, it's this couple just um, uh, here, um, Kaylee and Paul. Back in September 2015, they decided that um, they wanted to have a drink in every Red Lion in the country, all 632 of them. And, and so they, um, they set off, and it was just last year that they managed to complete their task of having a drink in every one of those uh, 632 pubs. It, it meant that they'd clocked up 20,500 miles, and they refused to let the, um, the press know how many drinks they'd had um, uh, during that time as well. But when I just read that um, uh, on, on the internet, it just struck me, what on earth would drive a couple like that to want to go to 632 Red Lion pubs to have a drink? I mean, it's just a little bit crazy, isn't it? It would have cost them a fortune as well. So what motivated them. Do you know what? There is a driving force behind lots of the things that you and I will do in life. For some people, the driver is going to be money. They want to earn as much as they can. For others, it's going to be success. Uh, for various um, uh, people who think they can sing, uh, they would say that fame is what they want, which is why they go on X Factor and um, uh, programs like that. For others, the driving force, a big driving force for me is to be liked. Honestly, it's true. Uh, and so I will do everything I can possible to get people to like me. There is just something within me uh, that drives me um, uh, towards that. For some people, it's a driving force to win. It could be to be happy. For others, they would say that their driving force is a relationship with Jesus. And I just wonder, in asking this question... I wonder what it is that drives you. Just, just have a stop to think. What is it that drives you, that, that pushes you to do what it is that you do? And secondly, I wonder what it is that drives this church. What, what's the motivation behind everything that you do? You see, over the next um, few minutes, what I want to do, and hopefully over this weekend, I want to tell you what drives me and what motivates uh, me. See, when I was younger, um, I attended a, a really faithful yet very, very small church. It held gospel services um, every week. It was a little brethren chapel. It was known as the Tin Tabernacle in our area uh, because literally it was made of corrugated iron. And um, uh, we used to meet there with uh, my family. It was basically 
it was my family. That's who went there. There was about 15 of us, and they were all Fennings, you know. And um, uh, so I grew up going there, and they, uh, there was a great kids' work. So I remember going through that and then helping with that. Had a great youth work as well on a Monday evening. And again, uh, I remember um, uh, being involved in, in helping there. The problem was is that nothing ever happened. We just never saw people come to faith. We never saw the church grow unless one of the Fennings had a baby. Honestly, it was seriously, it was, it was like that. And do you know what? I loved this little church, but I couldn't invite friends to it. And I knew that church could be so much more than what I was experiencing there. So when I was um, 18, I went to agricultural college at um, Ripple Agricultural College. I survived a whole term. Um, uh, I'd grown up on a farm. I thought farming was going to be my, um, uh, my life. And I went to agricultural college and realized that it wasn't going to be my whole life. I, I got very, very homesick there, and uh, I really wasn't enjoying it. Uh, but while I was there, I was invited with the Christian Union, because I was a Christian at the time, um, went with the CU to London, to the, the Met, uh, Methodist Central Hall, uh, to where there was an evening geared around a guy called um, Keith Green. Keith Green was uh, a Christian singer and songwriter back in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, he'd written the song, There is a Redeemer, with his wife and other things like that. And uh, I remembered reading his story uh, called No Compromise. It was a brilliant story. And anyway, he had died in 84. And so there was this tour going around uh, where they were communicating the vision that Keith Green had had. And it was to see 100,000 young people getting involved in short-term Christian work. Well, I went to this, um, uh, this event, and uh, my motives were probably very, very mixed. But at the end, a guy called Floyd McClung, um, who was speaking, he'd headed up um, Youth with a Mission, uh, he invited people to stand if they sensed that God was calling them into short-term Christian work. Now, normally... I'd grown up to make sure that I always stay seated when there was an appeal like that, because uh, it's far too demonstrative to, um, uh, to get out. But honestly, I just found myself standing at that point. And it might have been because I wanted to get out of agricultural college. My parents were Christians, so they would understand, you know, it might have been that. Or it might well have been uh, that God was really calling me. It was such a mix. But anyway, I stood there and I realized that farming wasn't going to be my life and that in some way I wanted to be able to serve God. So I went back, I told my parents that I was going to leave agricultural college and um, I was able to work on the farm for another year. And during that time, I met a man called Ian Coffey. And Ian Coffey worked with the Salt Mine Trust. And he just mentioned in passing they took on young people for training. And so straight away afterwards, I got up and I got to speak to him. And a year later, in 1986, I joined the Salt Mine Trust. I was part of the schools team and the small mission team. And for the first time in my, no, the second time in my life, I saw people coming to faith and that I was part of it. I'd been involved in the Billy Graham mission in 84. Um, uh, I must have been about 17 at the time. And I remember going onto the pitch and praying with people. That was the first time I'd really seen people come to faith. And then being part of Salt Mine, we did a pub evening. And um, uh, Ian Coffey was speaking, and I'd played and played and sung uh, my guitar and sung a bit. And, and two guys became Christians at that pub evening, and one of them was the barman. 
He had to be there. He was being paid to be there. And suddenly, all of these stories started to happen as I realized that God was at work in people's lives. And I was seeing, so my faith started to grow and build so much. And so when I finished my three years with Saltman, I came back to Suffolk and I thought, right, I'm going to work with this little church and we're going to turn this around. And we didn't. And it remained my family. Uh, and so in 1990, um, I um, married uh, someone who had been part of the Salt Mine Theatre Company. Her name was Sarah. And we um, had our wedding and we went off on honeymoon. And we prayed on our honeymoon and said, God, what is it that you would like for us as a couple? And both of us sensed really strongly that God wanted us to close this little chapel down and to start again. And to move into a community which had people living in it rather than animals because it was so rural, this little church. Uh, and to start again and to keep what was good and to then drop everything else uh, in order to make a fresh start. So I went back and I talked to my dad and my uncles and um, uh, eventually they said, yes, that was a good thing to do. So we closed down this little chapel, Brockford um, Gospel Hall, as it was, uh, and we started in Mendlesham. And we started with 24 people. We had grown because another Fenning family from a nearby village had joined us. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. And, uh, and so on our first service, I was so excited. We'd been building up to it, building up to it, knowing there'd be 24 people there if everyone turned up, you know. And um, six new people came. And it was like, wow, we haven't seen six new people in church before, not in one time. Uh, and it was amazing that just steadily over time, we started to see people coming to faith. I'd grown up, I'd been part of Saltmine, and so uh, within the first six months, we invited another one of Saltmine's um, uh, leaders, a man called Doug Barnett, uh, to come and to lead um, a church weekend. And he spoke, and we saw our first family come to faith. Uh, they'd been starting to get involved with the JWs, and they'd been invited to come along uh, to uh, some of our events. And the mum, the dad, and the daughter all became Christians, all got baptized, all went on with faith. Oh, it was so exciting. And just steadily, the church grew. There was no revolution. We just started to see more and more people come to faith. And as we grew, we had to organize more. And so we went from one service on a Sunday. We outgrew this little community center. And so we had to put on two services on a Sunday. Uh, and, and for some reason, more and more people started to come. We, we launched Alpha in, in 1996. We've done Alpha almost every year uh, since then. And I don't think we've ever done an Alpha course when someone hasn't come to faith. It's been extraordinary. It's been extraordinary. So we had to grow, we had to have more. We started off with one midweek group. I think we have about 40 now, 40 midweek groups happening uh, across the life of the church. We had to move from Debenham, uh, sorry, from Mendlesham, which is where I lived. Uh, we had to move from Mendlesham, we had to move seven miles to go into a leisure center because it was a much bigger premises for us to be able uh, to use. Uh, and in making that move, after five years, we had to go to two services again because more people were coming. Honestly, I had to pinch myself. I could not believe what was taking place. And then in 2014, uh, we launched a second site. Um, uh, we, we've, we're a church called a multi-site church, which means that we're one church, but we have different locations. And so we launched in 
Thurston, and within the first year, we'd seen 13 people get baptized, uh, and more than that come to faith. And then in 2017, we launched uh, another congregation at I. Again, we saw, I think it was nine people being baptized within that first year. And we've run furniture banks, we've run Christmas hampers, we've given away tens of thousands of pounds through our hardship fund. Honestly, it has been the most amazing 26 and a half years. But for me, out of all of the things that have taken place, you know what, I've loved to see the growth and I've loved to learn new skills as a leader. I've loved having my mind changed on things as we've gone through. I've loved working alongside incredibly talented people, both volunteers and staff. But what's been the driver behind it all? It's this, it's that I love to see people finding Jesus. Honestly, I do. It's at the heart of who I am. I want to do everything I can to help people find Jesus. And not only to find him, but to follow him too. And what's been so exciting for me is that the church is um, uh, on board with this. The church is on board with this. So our mission as a church is just that. It's to help people to find and to follow Jesus. These two statements have become the mission of our church. You know, last September, we had this couple. They decided to come uh, along to church. Uh, their name are Paul and Karen. They live in a nearby village of Bacton. And... Um, Karen had started going to a Methodist chapel when she was uh, a child. Uh, her parents didn't go, but her parents sent her up until the age of uh, 11 when she, she said she was so bored, she was just so glad to get out of it. Uh, nothing against the Methodist church, that's just how she viewed it. Okay. Paul had never been to church uh, apart from weddings and funerals, but in 2016 he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor. He was incredibly anxious, obviously they both were, uh, and he had to go into hospital for this major operation. And following radiotherapy and MRI scans, Paul was given the all clear in August of last year. And throughout those two years, they'd, they said that they'd kind of prayed, God help us prayers. She said that's the best way that they could explain it, without ever really knowing who God was. It was just that desperate thing of, God, you've got to do something. Paul and Karen own a dog, and Karen often walks the dog in the morning before she goes to work. And there is a lady who's part of the forge, part of our church, who also has a dog and who does the same dog walk. And so they would walk together, they would talk together, and Louise would say to Karen, you know what, we're praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your husband, Paul. And every now and again, she would just say, why don't you come to church with us? So on their first Sunday... Uh, on the first Sunday of September at 10 a.m., Paul suddenly announced to his wife that he wanted to go to church. And so very quickly, um, uh, they called Louise, and she promised to be on the door to welcome them when they arrived. And within 10 minutes, they were driving to Debenham. And it was the start of um, a, a teaching series that we, were, that we were doing. So it was a great week for them to come and join us. And I asked them afterwards, I said, what was your first experience like? And Paul said, pleasantly surprised, is what he said. He says, because I really didn't know what to expect. He said that people were friendly, it wasn't patronizing, it was informal, that they were made to feel at ease and comfortable. 
And he also said that everyone looked so normal, which, to be honest, I'm really not sure which church he'd gone to, because um, looking at some of our lot, they are very odd. He said the music was good, and it was unexpected. There was a band. The songs were uplifting. And within a couple of weeks, another a friend of theirs who comes to our church says, why don't you do Alpha? And so, at the beginning of, uh, or the end of September, they joined the Alpha course. And they built up a bond with others on the Alpha course. And Karen began a relationship with Jesus. It was so obvious. She, she, said, she talked about talking with Jesus every day. She was learning as much as she could. She's been part of one of our small groups since the end of Alpha. And she said this, everything's changed so much, my whole perspective and outlook. And I asked Paul at the end of Alpha where he stood with regards to his faith in Jesus. And he said, I'm about 95% there. So I had a meal with um, he and Karen uh, just the other week. And I said to him, I says, what's the extra 5% needed for you to take that step? And he says, it's not 5%. He says, I'm a gnat's whisker away. That was his term. Last week, I talked to him, and he asked about baptism, <laughs> which I was so excited about. You see, the thing is, is this. I live with the belief that every person would be better off with having Jesus at the center of their lives. Honestly, that's what I do. You see, what could be better than knowing that we are loved and accepted by our Creator, that He has a purpose for our lives, that whatever we have done in our past, that can be forgiven, and those sins are no longer held against us. The psalmist would say, as high as the sky is above the earth, so great is His love for those who honor Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. What could be better than having the power to become the person God created us to be? To experience and to live out love and joy and peace. And so when the pressure comes on, we can still experience peace. That when things don't work out as we want, somehow patience just, just oozes out of us. What could be better than that? What could be better than belonging to God and his family, a community of people who share the same love as Jesus, uh, for, for Jesus, whose marker, their standout marker, is to love each other? What's better? What's better? I live with the belief that every person will be better off having Jesus at the center of their lives. See, I long, I long to see more people discover this good news about Jesus. And I am passionate that the church is here to help people to find and to follow Jesus. Honestly, if we stop doing that, if you stop doing that, let's all just go home. Let's have Sundays off. Honestly, let's do that if it's not about helping people to find Jesus. I just want to um, uh, play you a guy who came on Alpha a couple of years ago, he was uh, an alcoholic and uh, his life was all over the place. Let me just um, uh, play it for you. I hope this will work okay. I'm Nathan. I'm originally from Maidstone in Kent. I've been up this way for like nearly 10 years. Um, I came from a very troubled childhood, like physically abused and mentally abused. Um, my life was really pretty bad, foster cares, social services, 
sections, like everything. It was just, it was pretty horrible. Um, I didn't grow up in a church environment whatsoever. I went to free church schools, but that didn't really do much for me. But when I was 11, I went to, um, I went to a church choir, joined the church choir. And actually, um, I was even on Sons of Praise. But apart from that, I've got nothing to do with church. But by the age of 12 and 13, I was, I started drinking and doing drugs heavily. By the age of 13, 14, I was around drug dealers, murderers, paedophiles, everything. I was really in it from the age of 13 to 22. That was just my life. My dad was always in prison, who I thought was my dad, but it turned out he wasn't my real dad. My whole childhood and my teenage years was just one big struggle. By the age of 22, I think I was 22, I moved up to Norwich, and I tried settling down. I met a girl, we um, got engaged, we got a place, I got a job, um, then had a child, who was my oldest lad, called Archie Lee. After so many years, we was together, we, I, it broke down. She stopped me from seeing him. And then, then I'm, whilst I split up with her, I met this other girl called Suzanne. A year and a half later, after moving in, she fell pregnant with my boy Stanley. I was going for, I, I just split up with my ex-partner, my Stanley and Charlie's mum, and I moved in, I just moved into Needham. And I was, I, I was, I hit rock bottom. I mean, I hit rock bottom. I was just, I stopped eating a lot. In a space of a few months, I lost, I lost my family, I lost my kids, I lost my mate. Decided to kill herself on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it, it just it got too much. I, I felt so down and depressed. I've never felt so low in my life. But the thing is, I don't think it was because of that. I think it was because of everything else that's happened in the past. I think everything just hit me. So I, I was drinking, I wasn't eating. I was drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. I tried killing myself. And then, yeah, one day I, I, I was working sometimes, Alan sorts me out a bit of work at the weekend. So I met up with Alan and my brother came down because he found out what happened. And then I, I didn't think nothing more about it. And then a, a, a couple of weeks later, he told me about this place that's starting up. It's called Alpha. I didn't know what Alpha was. I didn't have a clue what Alpha was. He said it's just somewhere you could um, deal with your depression, anxiety. He told me, he said, it's not that, it's not religious or anything. There's a couple of people there, might be, you know, might be a bit religious, but that is it. So I went to Alpha for the first time and I walked through the door and I went in the front room and, oh, I thought he set me right up. It was not, not many, everyone was religious. It was like a room full of Bible bashers in my eyes, the way I looked at it, I couldn't believe it. So Alan set me right up and I'm glad he did. I'm really glad he did. I think the first time it really impacted me is when I went to um, I went to church, not the first time, all second time, the third time, and it was Steve's little speech, doing the miracle grow. I remember getting that car on the way back, and I just tried to hold it in, I held it in, I held it in. And I remember Helen looking at me in the mirror and saying, look, just let it go. And I'm thinking, nah, I'm gonna have that. And she, we had to go and get petrol, because Helen always forgets to get petrol. You get in the car, First thing Helen says, don't worry, we will probably break down, I ain't got no petrol. And I remember Helen saying, do you want to come back for dinner? And I, I just couldn't. I went home, I cried, I cried so much. I, I proper cried, I cried like a proper little baby. And I remember when Peter, Peter Watson said to me one time, when 
he just broke down on his hands and knees and started crying and gave them to God. And it was exactly the same sort of thing. And I didn't, I couldn't believe it. This thing, this hurt me so much. And um, for me, I've grown up with evil and I've done evil things. So that really done me and I went home and I remember talking to Beth and I didn't want to go back because it hurt me. And that's what I remember she saying to me, she goes, why are you getting funny? She goes, if it's hurting, it means it's doing something, it's working. It's been a lot of change. It's brought a lot of change because there's certain things that I'm doing now that I would never do. I'm off to rehab. I'm off to um, a place called Willoughby House. And it's basically run by Teen Challenge. And it's for people with drinking drug problems. It's basically a rehab. Now, if I didn't have this faith and if I didn't go to that alpha, or if I didn't meet these people and if I didn't meet Steve and... Steve and Janet Watson and Stephen and how they've been helping me and that. I never saw my Charlie. I didn't see Charlie. When I split up with his mum, obviously, because of reasons, I'm not technically his real father. So she stopped me from seeing him. And so for six months, I didn't see him and I was so bitter and angry. But then it was only because I'd done the Alpha and went to church and started realising about forgiving and it wasn't his fault what happened. So religion, Jesus is played a big part in it. It's brought me closer to my kids. But the thing is, the reason why I'm doing this is because of the church and because of Steve Fanning and Janet Watson and they've been like my rock. They've, they've gone through hell with me. And like, I've done some stupid things and they've always been there. And the first time in my life, I feel loved. And I don't feel like they're gonna hurt me. And then that's weird, because I've always pushed people away. These people are really good people and they've really took me in. Like Steve's took me in like one of his own. I go around his house every Sunday. It's just and Janet, she picks me up any enough every day now and we go to Tesco's and we they've just been brilliant. And it's just it's just a nice feeling to be actually be wanted. So yeah, that's it. Done. Nathan was um, baptized. And uh, on the day after being baptized, he went off to rehab. He was going there because when he went to write the name of his kids uh, to register them at church, his hands would just shake so much because of um, the effects of the alcohol um, on him. And do you know what? I've put this up. I live with the belief that every person would be better off with having Jesus at the center of their lives. Nathan went through 10 months of, um, uh, of rehab at this Christian center called Teen Challenge. And um, his life, he has broken um, that addiction. And he's back in Ipswich now, and he's now seeing his boys. But do you know what? There's something more than that. And it's this. I honestly believe that when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, it's not just good news for them. It's good news for everyone around them. Nathan now does outreach on the streets in Ipswich. And he talks with the homeless, and he talks with the addicts. And he puts them in touch with churches where there is an alpha course going on or where the church can help them. He's got one person into rehab already. And he's seen a guy who was out of prison after 26 years of being in prison come to faith and be baptized. And that's in the last six months. And it is extraordinary. Because you see, what is good for us is good for others. And that's the difference. That's what drives me. That's what makes me so excited about the message that we have to share. Now, our mission 
This is what drives me. This is what drives our church, uh, uh, is to help people to find and follow Jesus. How do we do that? I just want to just share just a little bit of that, if that's okay. Going back to 1992, we started this little church in Mendlesham. There was nothing extraordinary in that there was an Anglican church, there was a Baptist church, and there was a United Reformed church, all in the village where I lived. And we started uh, MCF. And the question came up, did the village need another church? And so when we launched Thurston in 2014... The same question was asked, did Thurston need another church? And when we launched I, the same question was asked, did I need another church? And in every situation, the answer was no, it didn't. These villagers didn't need just another church. What they needed was a different kind of church. A church that would reach people that other churches weren't reaching. And so right at the core of everything that we do, We want to make sure that there is nothing that will get in the way of people finding and following Jesus. And that's really, really hard when it comes to church. In fact, Peter and Paul discovered this in the early stages um, of of sharing Jesus with the Gentiles. You know, Gentiles were, were becoming Christians, were becoming followers of Jesus. And so the Jews would say, well, you need to be able to become like us. And so, guys, that's going to be painful. Yes? And so they were asking that for any new Christian, they had to be circumcised because that's what was the mark of of the Jewish um, uh, people. And Paul and Peter didn't like that. They said, this is making it too difficult. And so this is how it's recorded in Acts. Peter speaks And he says this, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's that little phrase there, why are we um, challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we or our ancestors are able to bear? James, the brother of Jesus, who was leading the church council at the time, goes on to say this, this I think is brilliant. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I love that. Let's not make it difficult. Don't let religious stuff get in the way of people finding and following Jesus. So this has shaped how we operate as a church, how we welcome people, the music we play, the songs that we sing, the talks that we give, the language that we use, the media that we produce, the environments that we create. All of it is going because we want to keep unchurched people, people who don't share the same faith as us, in mind on any gathering that we meet together. My sister-in-law, my my, uh, wife's uh, sister, came over from New Zealand. She doesn't go to church, and she came along to a Christmas service. And I said, how did you find it? And she says, you know that we're here, don't you? And I was so pleased. 
that she recognized that we knew there were people who didn't share the same belief, but they were still welcome and they were still accepted. A man, Craig Groeschel, um, who's a church leader in the States, he has um, uh, just a massive amount of churches. He said this, to reach people that no one is reaching, you have to do things that no one is doing. And so we have people who join the church who come from church backgrounds, and um, uh, there will be a number of things which they will really like about the church, and there will also be a whole load of things that they don't. I had one person tell me, why have we got people in the car park? I know how to park my car, thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I have, yeah. We've had uh, people who said, why waste our money by giving chocolates out to people when they arrived? Why don't we sing more hymns? Why don't we have longer times of worship? Why do you keep on saying every week the offering is going to be taken, and if you're a visitor, please don't take, you haven't got to take part. Why do you say that every week? We hear it every week. And I smile because I know they don't understand what drives us. And I smile because it's only when they invite someone will they understand why having someone in the car park to welcome them and someone to give them a chocolate when they first arrive and then to have people who will greet them and who will show them to their seats and who will talk with them afterwards, suddenly it all makes sense. A man called James Emery White, another church leader, said this, a church, if left to its own devices, will do three things. It will grow inward, it will grow, what was it, grow outdated, and it will grow old. Grow inward, where we want to make church good for us. So we sing the songs that we like, and we have the services at the times which will suit us best. And, uh, and it all becomes about keeping us happy. If a church, when it's just left to its own, we all do it. We just do. So rather than thinking of visitors coming in and what their experience, well, they can fit in with us if they want to. Yeah? It can become outdated. And thirdly, it, can be, it will just grow old. I was 26 when we started the church. I'm 52. <laughs> 52. Uh, which means if the congregation sticks with me, boy, are we getting old. And so every leader's job, every church leader, Mark's job, every leader's job is to battle against those things. It's to keep church looking outwards. It's to keep the church relevant and updated. And it's to keep the church young. And the way to keep church young is to have more young people up here. It is in leading. Do you know what? Um, my kids, if they saw um, a 75 or 80-year-old on stage, they wouldn't think that much of it because they're used to going to church, uh, but, that, but they wouldn't be that impressed. My dad, who's 80, sees a 20-year-old on stage, He'll sometimes cry because he's so happy. It's true, isn't it? And so we have to, as a church, battle against those things. I came across this song a few years ago. I love it. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let rescue begin. Come find your mercy. O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens and lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. 
I love that sentiment behind that song because it reminds me that none of us have got life sorted and we don't have to sort ourselves out before coming to church. We don't have to appear as if we're happy if, if we're brokenhearted and we can come with our doubts. And do you know what? There are people in Norwich area, people that you work with, people that you live next door to who are also broken, who are doubting, who are anxious, who are bruised, and who need to be part of this community. We do need to be part of this community. I grew up in a church when I was younger especially, where for people to be part of our church community, they had to believe and they had to behave before they would really be accepted and belong. And I tell you, if you want a nice community, then you get everyone believing and behaving correctly okay, uh, before they belong. And it will be nice and clean, but a whole load of people won't ever be welcome here. But if you turn that round and so that people can belong, and as they belong, they find a different way to behave and they might even come to believe. It's what I've seen happen time and time again. It is such an amazing method. Just stop and think uh, for a moment. When did Peter, as in the Apostle Peter, when did he get saved? Was it when Jesus said, come follow me, and he left his nets and followed Jesus? Is that when Peter got saved? Or was it when Peter was at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they were saying, oh, it was Elijah or Jeremiah. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Suddenly his eyes were open. Is that when Peter was saved? Or was it when he was having breakfast with, Je with Jesus after the resurrection uh, and he denied three times and, P and Jesus comes along and says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, of course I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. Was it, was it at that point? Or was it just before he preached that amazing sermon at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on him? When did Peter get saved? Who would go with the first one when Jesus said, come follow me? Just put your hands up. Oh, okay. Like one or two. One or two kind of nervous people. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, who thinks when he said, you are the um, Messiah, the son of the living God? Who thinks it was then? Okay. Oh, there's a few more there. Okay. Um, uh, what about when Jesus had breakfast with him and he said, feed my sheep? Basically, he was um, forgiving him for the three times denial. Put your hands up on that one. Okay, who thinks Pentecost? Okay, so the rest of you don't think Peter was ever saved. Okay, no. <laughs> Do you know what the answer is? We don't know. <laughs> Honestly, we don't know. But he was invited to belong first. When Jesus says, you come and follow me. And it's out of that that Peter's faith grew. So our vision as a church, I'm, I'm just wanting to, for you to understand. So as we go into tomorrow, you just understand a little bit of my heart when it comes to sharing faith. This is, um, our mission is to help um, people find and follow Jesus. And our mission is this, it's to be a church community that unchurched people love to be part of. I had a guy who's um, uh, going out with someone um, from our church, and uh, he's, he was brought along to church, and um, he started to get involved, and he came up to me one day, and he says, I've brought a friend. I don't believe yet, but I've brought a friend. I'm doing your job for you. <laughs> and I tell you, that is such a win, where people come 
and they experience a sense of belonging, they find something helpful, and then bring a friend to come and be part of it as well. So when I talk with Christians about the forge, I talk through what drives us, and I let them know when they've come from other churches that they are not the mission, but I want to call them to help us to make the mission happen. And the way in which that happens is through that little word called invitation. We say, invite a friend. Invite a friend. Invite a friend to a small group. Invite a friend to a Sunday. And what we will do is everything we can to remove every obstacle so that they can find Jesus themselves. So let me finish you've done very well in keeping awake on a Friday evening. Thank you very much. If you've fallen asleep, you've hidden it brilliantly. Okay. Oops, let me just come uh, to here. Here we go. So let me ask you just these questions here. What drives you? What drives you in life? But what is it that drives you to be part of this community? And also, what drives Norwich Central Baptist Church? What's really at your heart? What is it that motivates you to do what you do? And do you primarily, or who do you primarily exist for? For those inside the church, for those of us who are already here? Or do you primarily exist for those outside the church? Is your mission and vision reflected in what you do and how you operate and organize yourselves? And this, you see, for me, is so important. With the model of church that we have, are you confident to invite and bring a friend to church? I used to have phone calls a number of years ago with when someone would say, uh, who's speaking on Sunday? And I would say, who was speaking on Sunday? And they would go, oh, okay, I'll leave it this way. I've got a friend, but I'm going to invite. Honestly, it's true. It's true. And for me, the alarm bells went up so big so big that we had to make changes to some of our speaking thing because I want every week to be a week where I and anyone in our congregation can confidently invite their friend to church. So are you confident and what is there anything that you're doing that makes church resistible to outsiders? Because if so, have the courage to make the change.